Good day, folks. Pastor Jim Thomas from the Village Chapel here in Nashville, Tennessee, with your daily devotional. In just a minute or two, I want to read from For the Love of God, and this is by uh, the New Testament scholar D.A. Carson. Uh, he's written probably 40 or more books, including the bestseller, The Gagging of God, Christianity Confronts Pluralism. And uh, he is uh, just a brilliant, brilliant scholar. I so enjoy uh, hearing him speak and reading his thoughts. We're going to reflect on Psalm 74 in just a second, along with D.A. Carson. Uh, this is uh, volume two of um, uh, a group. Uh, it's called A Daily Companion for Discovering the Treasures of God's Word. And so really it does walk you through a variety of Bible passages. And uh, so it's more than just a, a devotional itself. It's actually walking through some of the scriptures. And this uh, reflection on Psalm 74, I find incredibly uh, insightful and uh, also encouraging. So let me read Psalm 74 for you first. And uh, wherever you might be, um, I hope you'll be able to either read along, follow along in your Bible, or perhaps just listen as I read. Now, listen, uh, this is uh, this is titled a Psalm of Asaph, and uh, Asaph was one of three musicians put in charge of uh, the musical worship in the temple uh, way back uh, during the time of King David, probably like 1000 BC. And uh, I believe he overlapped into the time of Solomon, who followed David. And I believe that Asaph even was put in charge of the music for the dedication of the temple that Solomon built. So um, this particular psalm of Asaph, Asaph is one of, uh, I believe there are about a dozen of them, uh, Numbers uh, 50 and then um, Numbers 73 through 83 in the Psalter. The Psalter, as most of you know, 150 ancient songs from uh, a, a variety of composers. But uh, King David himself, probably about half of those. Asaph, uh, as I say, about a dozen of these. And I love to think of, you know, here he is. Uh, one of those ancient worship leaders, a musician himself, and he is sitting around and thinking about what's going on in the world around him. And this uh, probably was written by Asaph back in David's time, but there, uh, as we'll see with Carson, there are those who think perhaps it was written during the post-exilic times after uh, uh, Israel has been in exile and they're lamenting the exile. And so rather than Asaph himself, it's one of the Asaphite songwriters who might be in the line of his descendants. Either way, it's a world in turmoil and a world that is longing for God to remember them. And by remember, um, let's be careful. Uh, what that means is God... Uh, be mindful of us and act on our behalf. It's not that God has somehow or another uh, a fading mind, a, a fading ability to remember things. No, it's just this is uh, the cry of someone who's asking God to, to be mindful and aware of what's going on in their life and to act on their behalf. So listen to this ancient song. Why have you rejected us so forever, O God? 
Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? Immediately, you know, if you've ever felt like that, you identify with this ancient song. If you've ever wondered, you know, is God aware of what's going on in your life? Um, It's as if, you know, you, you feel as if God has rejected you and isn't aware of what's going on. And so he goes on in verse 2 of Psalm 74. Remember your the people you purchased of old, the tribe of your inheritance, whom you redeemed, Mount Zion, where you dwelt. Turn your steps toward these everlasting ruins. All this destruction the enemy has brought on the sanctuary. And of course, if this is one of those uh, psalms that's written after the Israelites in uh, Judea have been carried away into ancient Babylon. Uh, that would put this somewhere in the around the time frame of the sixth century BC. So 586, 587 BC is when the temple was destroyed and the Israelites were were carried away, including Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who who go on to we read about in the in the book of Daniel. But uh, so this. If that's the time he's referring to, then it's an Asaphite descendant. Uh, however, there were there was plenty going on during the time of David as well, and plenty to lament. And um, I love that about the Psalms; it gives us language, uh, the language of lament, and we so desperately need it um, in our own day and time. Myself included, I'm, I'm prone to. Uh, you know, put my head down and bore forward, push forward, and and not want not want to feel, um, not want to express my feelings, and so I'm so grateful for psalms of lament. Um, Asaph goes on: Your foes roared in the place where you met with us. They set up their standards as signs. They behaved like men wielding axes to cut through a thicket of trees. These are the foes of God. And uh, in Asaph's view, as he writes, uh, whoever would be the enemy of God's people would be the enemy of God as well. And God's good name was often attached to um, the prosperity of God's people, or in this particular case, um, those the, the suffering and the anguish of God's people. And so um, he's going to appeal to God uh, to recall all of that. He's going to articulate some of the things that the enemies have done. They smashed all the carved paneling with their axes and their hatches. They burned your sanctuary to the ground. They defiled the dwelling place of your name. They said in their hearts, we will crush them completely. They burned every place where God was worshiped in the land. We are given no miraculous signs. No prophets are left and none of us knows how long this will be. And uh, again, I Right here in the Bible, the kinds of words and sentences that express the deep anguish of the human heart. And I don't know about you, but again, I find solace in the fact that that's in my Bible, that God knows that, that God knows this world is broken. He's given us language uh, to express that back to him. And I love that about the Psalms as... uh, uh, the old church father Athanasius said, "They not only, the Psalms not only speak to us, they speak for us. 
Um, and so the enemies of God were saying in their hearts, we'll crush them completely. They burned every place where God was worshiped in the land. And then Asaph laments, we've been given no miraculous signs. No prophets are left. None of us knows how long this will be. And then he expresses it directly. How long will the enemy mock you, O God? Will the foe revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the folds of your garment and destroy them. In other words, it's like God has his, you know, in a very anthropomorphic way, uh, the psalmist is saying that God has his hands in his pockets, effectively. Take your hands out. Destroy your enemies who are at odds with your people. Verse 12, but you, O God, are my king from of old. You bring salvation upon the earth. And I, I love the way even these psalms of lament, as they express quite honestly what's going on, they also express confidence in God. Most Every single one of them comes back around to the, after expressing what has been going on and how they feel about it, they come back around reminding themselves to have their confidence in God. You, O God, are my king from of old. You bring salvation upon the earth. It was you who split open the sea by your power. You broke the heads of the monster in the waters. It was you who crushed the heads of Leviathan and gave him as food to the creatures of the desert. It was you who opened up springs and streams. You dried up the ever-flowing rivers. The day is yours and yours also the night. You established the sun and the moon. It was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. You made both summer and winter. And so he's recalling, even as he sings out and cries out to God for help, he's recalling that God is the creator, that God is the rightful owner, the, the, the one who is the ruler and sustainer of all the earth. And then he says, remember how the enemy has mocked you, O Lord, how foolish people have reviled your name. Do not hand over the life of your dove to wild beasts. Do not forget the lives of your afflicted people forever. And again, poetic language to express to God uh, a plea for rescue, for salvation. Have regard for your covenant because haunts of violence fill the dark places of the land. Do not let the oppressed retreat in disgrace. May the poor and needy praise your name. Rise up, O God, defend your cause. Remember how fools mock you all day long. Do not ignore the clamor of your adversaries, the uproar of your enemies, which rises continually. And so the psalmist closes what we call Psalm 74 out with that, that petition for God to rise up against God's enemies uh, who have caused great anguish, anguish and suffering for God's people. That's Psalm 74 in its entirety. Here are D.A. Carson's thoughts uh, just a couple of paragraphs, really. Um, he says it's appropriate to reflect on Psalm 74. It sounds as if it was written at a time of national disaster. And he says, perhaps the devastation of 587 BC, as I mentioned earlier, that's the time of the uh, destruction of the of Jerusalem and the temple and the, when the uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came in and, and hauled away uh, the Israelites into exile. Carson goes on, the worst blow of all is that all the prophets are silent. Then suddenly in the midst of the gloom and havoc is a breath of praise, verses 12 through 17, before the darkness descends again. The interruption is dramatic and reinforced by a sudden switch from the first person plural, we or us, 
to the first person singular, but you, O God, are my king from of old. Noteworthy features, Carson says, include, one, the anguish of this chapter emerges out of faith, not skepticism, still less cynicism. These people know God, but they cannot see what he's doing. They are not so much protesting his punishment of them as its duration. They act as if they know the punishment is deserved, but is it open-ended? Is there no relief? Why have you rejected us forever, O God? Verse 1 says. Verse 3 says, turn your steps toward these everlasting ruins. And there's a sense in which it's the timing that they're questioning. How long will the enemy mock you, O God? Verse 10. Will the foe revile your name forever? Verse, again, verse 10. And then secondly, not only the anguish of this psalm, but there's a powerful emphasis on God's remembering, D.A. Carson says, or more precisely put on appealing to God to remember. It's not as if the psalmist thinks something may have slipped God's mind and that he must be reminded of a few basics which under the press of ruling the universe he may have accidentally overlooked. Now, the appeal to God to remember is explicit in verse 2, verse 18, verse 22, and implicit often like verse 20, have regard for your covenant. These passages provide some insight into what this remembering means. It's an appeal to God to act in the light of his ancient covenantal association with his people. The people he purchased of old, as verse 2 says, the tribe of his inheritance that he himself redeemed. It is a plea that in the midst of wrath, he would remember with mercy. Mm. The third characteristic that is noteworthy, according to D.A. Carson here in For the Love of God, is that verses 4 through 8 sound as if they arise from an eyewitness view of the temple being destroyed from a memory indelibly etched with sorrow. This was the place, the psalmist tells God, where you met with us. Uh, verse 4, the following verses are nauseous with grief. And verse, uh, the fourth point that Carson wants to make is that perhaps we are better placed to reflect on the role of verses 12 through 17 in the psalm. Precisely when there seems little hope, it is most important for individual believers to recall the power of God in creation, verses 16 and 17, and in redemption. Oh, that's such a beautiful word, isn't it? He's the Lord of creation. And he's the father of redemption. <laughs> and then Carson just closes with this question, this, uh, this daily reading. How should such a stance work out in our lives? And that's, that's just a brilliant way to end this daily devotional. How should such a stance work out in our lives? Psalm 74, honest in its expression of anguish. Um, heartfelt in its cries for mercy and uh, its pleas for God to be mindful of and to act on their behalf. Um, I don't know about you, but that gives me great hope that when I approach our Father who art in heaven, he will hear my cries for mercy. He will hear the anguish that's in my heart. 
And he, the God of all creation, who holds time itself in his hands, who holds history in itself, uh, in his hands. He is in charge of it. Uh, he's leading it to where his purposes and his agenda want it to go. And so you and I have been gifted with this opportunity to go before him. Let's do. Lord, thank you for this. Um, the hope, the invitation even, I'd say, be so bold to say that Psalm 74 is for myself, for my friends, whatever we may be going through, Lord, may we boldly approach your throne of grace that we might receive mercy in times of need. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hope you have a great day. Daily Devotions with Pastor Jim Thomas is a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. If you find this daily devotional beneficial, leave a review and share it with friends and family. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com. Artwork for this podcast by Kim Thomas. Music by Phil Kagey. Thank you.